and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Bibber. With me, as always, for a very special Super Bowl week edition of the podcast, Stephen White, Danny Kelly. How are you guys today? Doing great. Doing awesome. So we have a duty to provide folks with um, a little more media coverage on the Super Bowl here today. <laughs> so... Um, get ready, but I think I think we've got some good stuff on tap, so we we can hit a hit a few things that uh that maybe even uh what what Cam was talking about the other day last night is uh we can we can work around that because Cam made a really good point that he's like I'm just tired of answering the same questions over and over and over again, and it's like yeah he's got a pretty good point there because. Like not even like even old sports writers didn't get mad at him about for saying that. <laughs> there was very little reaction to that. Like that. even Florio kind of agreed with it. <laughs> it's like so, I mean, does he? I guess he has a point. I mean, you you can't get away from it. Obviously, it's too big of a thing. I mean, it's not like the NFL or TV networks are going to like. Well, let's take a break on Super Bowl coverage. But right. I mean. How do you deal with the overkill? What do you guys do for this? Because we've all been doing this a long time now. I mean, really, you just kind of have to like. At home. <laughs> you just have to look for. Well, personally, like I think some of the X's and O's stuff isn't. You know, it's not like overdone, right? At this point, so that's kind of where I focus, and obviously, Stephen too. Um, it's all you know the high level like narratives and all that. That that stuff gets. <laughs> that's like you beating a dead horse by now. Obviously, it's like the Cam Newton stuff, and they've been talking about this all year long, like the celebrations and. And, you know, all that stuff. And so it's kind of by now turned into overkill. But I think, you know, just the X's and O's of the game are still really interesting. I think it's a really, really interesting matchup in terms of, like Stephen always says, styles make fights. And that, this is a really cool Super Bowl, I yeah. think, in, in, in that point of view. So, I mean, it's been it's been a fun week in terms of studying what the game's going to be and all that. Yeah, I would agree for sure. It's been um, it, it is it is really interesting. These teams do have an interesting matchup. I mean, it doesn't feel like yeah. looking ahead at it doesn't feel like one of those ones where you know it's it's one team's way ahead of the other or anything like that. I mean, even going back just a couple of years, like that Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was pretty. Actually, that kind of felt like a similar matchup because I think the Panthers and the Seahawks are sort of similarly aligned mm-hmm. in terms of philosophy and and you know what they can do with the quarterback obviously cam newton runs different style than russell wilson but you still have to account for russell wilson as a runner so i don't know it's it's definitely an interesting matchup i think i was thinking about this you know with the way that the panthers have played the last couple weeks even going back probably like eight or nine weeks um they look like really unstoppable right now Mm -hmm. and i i was thinking about this i i don't think there's any team better built to stop the Panthers than the Broncos right now. I think that's why it makes it such a cool matchup. I think I would probably pick the Panthers against pretty much anybody right now, but the Broncos defense is, is pretty well built to stop them. So that's, that's kind of a cool angle. I think that'll make it fun. Like they're, they're the one teams whose defense can, you know, potentially give Cam Newton problems. So that, that makes it really fun. Well, and it's a group it's, it's changed a lot in the last two years too. I mean, yeah. since that Super Bowl against Seahawks, the def- the Denver's defense. I mean, you have a like new flip flopped. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a new coaching staff altogether, but new defensive coaching staff too. And it's a deeper group, isn't it? I mean, it seems like it. Yeah, and it's it's funny because uh, a lot of people say, and I think this is true. I mean, I, I don't know if I always ever said it explicitly, but he kind of built that defense after the Super Bowl, you know, because mm-hmm. he saw what the Seahawks were able to do to the greatest offense ever assembled, you know, to that point. And so yeah. Um, you know, he kind of, I think the building of this team has kind of been a reaction to that Super Bowl. You know, he went out and signed DeMarcus Ware and, and the, the secondary guys in the secondary team, uh, Aqib Tlaib and, and TJ Ward and a lot of guys. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've hit on a lot of draft picks too. They've done a really, really good job of putting that defense together. You have to give Elway a ton of credit. Um, but it is kind of funny how the 2013 Super Bowl did sort of shape this team that's going into the, you know, the 20. Is this the is this technically the 2015 Super Bowl? I don't really know how that works. But <laughs> <laughs> either way, but yeah, it's it's uh it's it has shaped the team now based on that game. So it, it's definitely that's that's kind of a cool storyline for that too. 
Yeah, it really is. Steve, I want to ask you about that defensive line. You've obviously written about it a little bit in the last couple of weeks here. But um, what is it about that defensive line that makes it so special? I mean, obviously you've got a guy like Von Miller who's, you know, just sort of that otherworldly talent. But, you know, it's it looks like a pretty good group even when you're getting into the, you know, third and fourth guys in the rotation. Yeah, they're just stats uh, from top to bottom. I mean, you're talking about uh, DeMarcus Ware who, you know, when he's healthy, uh, he's probably just as good as Ron Miller, just to be honest with you, mm-hmm. as a pass rusher at least. Great technique. You know, uh, we know the success he had with Wade Phillips back in Dallas. And, look, uh, against the uh, Patriots especially, he looked like he was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So you got him and Vaughn coming off the, the edge. That's rare in and of itself. Then you have Derek Wolf, who, you know, he had some injury issues and a sickness, I think, a mysterious sickness or something. They kind of held him back uh, after he, he had a real good start to his career. But this year he came back like gangbusters, earned his big contract. And right now, man, it, it's hard as hell to block that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with two guys sometimes. And then you have, you know, you talk about them and then Malik Jackson, who is one of the most versatile defensive linemen they have on the team, can play pretty much anywhere. He's like their five technique. He can be a defensive end, this play, the next play be a three technique, rush the edge, rush inside. And you put all those guys together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you got to figure out who you want to block <laughs> because it's only so many people you can give help to. Yeah. And then, you know, shit, you get those guys tired, and all of a sudden, you know, you got a, a Antonio Smith coming in who's a veteran defensive tackle and knows how to rush inside. You got the rookie Shane Ray who's shown a lot of flashes. Even this guy Shaquille Barrett that nobody's talking about has had some really good rushes throughout the season. So it really isn't much of a drop off even when they go to their backups. Now, uh, you know, this is the ultimate, ultimate uh, clash of styles, mm-hmm. as uh, uh, Danny alluded to, because the, the Panthers would rather run the ball all day if they could. And even when they throw the ball, they like to keep a lot of guys in for protection. So, that, you know, the defensive line of, of the Broncos is going to have a tough time ahead of them. But, it, you know, kind of like Danny said, if you're going to build a defense specifically to stop, the Carolina Panthers and what they do best, mm-hmm. it will look a lot like this David, uh, Denver Broncos defense. And do you, tell me a little bit then, like how do they, I mean, okay, so obviously, you know, the, the offense runs through Cam Newton for Carolina. How do they attack? I mean, because it's, it's going to be a much different affair than, you know, coming after Tom Brady with a, a banged up offensive line, you know, filled with replacements already. So how do they, I mean, what do they do differently this week? Well, for me, uh, my suggestion in my piece was that uh, they do two things that you normally wouldn't do with a, a mobile quarterback. With a mobile quarterback, you generally want to go to more of a pay, uh, uh, bull rush game up front mm-hmm. uh, because while you might not get as much pressure, you, co- you close down their running lanes and they kind of have to stay in the pocket and throw the football. But one – Cam Newton has done an excellent job of throwing from the pocket already. And if you give him time, he will dissect you. Number two, you got basically two virtuosos at rushing the outside on the edge and Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. It just doesn't make any sense to have those guys running right down the middle of these offensive tackles, especially when, you know, a guy like Michael Orr, I finally figured out how he's, quote, unquote, playing so much better this year is because he's just sitting down waiting for a bull rush every play. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, and Danny can attest to this, most of the time when, when the offensive tackle out on the island is sitting for a bull rush, he's very vulnerable for a speed rush, which is you know what Vaughn and, and, and DeMarcus Ware do best. Mm-hmm. But so many guys don't even try. Don't even try to take the edge because it's Cam Newton and they're scared he's going to step up and take off running that he never even has to, to, to do anything athletic out on the streets. All he does is just sit there and wait for you to run over him. And, and he's pretty good and pretty big at taking on those blows. So, to me, I think you let those guys rush. Let Von Miller, let DeMarcus Ware go around the edge, mm-hmm. and then you send one more guy. Send that fifth rusher, no matter where he's coming from, to make sure that Cam can't step up and take off running. Let those guys, you know, rush the edge, have another guy in there kind of spine, maybe, you know, delayed blitz or what have you. It's the same thing that the Tennessee Titans did, and they had five sacks on Cam this, this season, 
it seems like we kind of yada, yada, yada that game. I, I couldn't remember it when I actually went back and looked at it. But sure enough, going into the fourth, into the fourth quarter, that score was 17 to 10. Yeah. They had done a, a really good job of, of kind of, you know, not shutting down, but limiting that Carolina Panthers offense. And I think, again, that the Denver Broncos have exactly the personnel to have the same kind of game plan, but execute it much better. So I, let's, I want to go to the other side of the ball and stay in the trenches because I, I want to talk about the zone blocking thing with the Broncos. And that's been such a big deal for them this year because I think more than just like knowing what it is and what the scheme is, is that it's really been sort of, this is the trouble that some of the trouble they had early in the season with you know, putting Peyton in Gary Kubiak's zone blocking mm-hmm. system, which is, wasn't really, you know, necessarily the way Peyton is accustomed to playing. Right. So, Walk us through that a little bit, Danny. Tell yeah, so us what I mean, zone blocking is because, like, you know, when I hear zone blocking in the Broncos, I mean, I understand what it is now, but, I mean, you know, I still have that tendency, and I think a lot of other people probably do, to go back to, you know, the old, the, the Mike Shanahan era Broncos with those cut blocks and stuff and yeah. taking out defensive linemen's legs. Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, I'm sure most people know this, but um, if you go back to the 97-98 Super Bowl teams of the Broncos, you know, Elway was the quarterback. He's obviously the GM now. Kubiak was the offensive coordinator. Uh, Alex Gibbs was the assistant head coach um, slash O-line uh, guru guy who kind of implemented that zone blocking scheme. He's a consultant with the Broncos now. So they're kind of like getting the old band back together, kind of, you know, trying to <laughs> see if it works again. And Elway even said something like, well, I know this works because I won championships with it. So um, going into the year, it was always kind of like, well, how are they going to mix this? Because typically I think they do more of the zone blocking stuff from under center. And that way you can use the quarterback as like a bootleg option mm-hmm. in that. The, the, the reason for that is it holds the backside defender um, to one side. So you get, you know, you get a better chance of like an explosive play because that backside defender has to honor the bootleg. And when, when you don't have that real option with Peyton Manning, that kind of can mix things up. And then obviously Manning has played in the shotgun for most of his career. He's much better in the shotgun, generally speaking. And, um, I think it took him a long time to kind of figure out, uh, you know, just like how to play in in the, in the under center game. And so I, they, they had kind of like this whole, um, you know, like identity crisis the whole year. Didn't really know what who they were or whatever, and, and they ended up running out of shotgun a lot more uh, throughout the year. I think it, I, I saw a quote or a tweet this week that was like they ran shotgun eighty percent of the time or something, eighty four percent of the time this year. <clears throat> but then if you look at their last two playoff games, both wins, uh, it's been about fifty fifty in terms of shotgun versus under center. So it kind of feels like they came to a compromise um, in terms of. You know, trying to get the their Kubiak zone blocking scheme going, and, and they did. They ran for I think 109 yards and then 99 yards. So it's not like they blew people off the ball, but I mean that's still decent in terms of what they want to get done. Obviously, I think ball control is a big part of it because uh, Peyton Manning isn't the explosive passer or whatever, and, and it's not going to you know necessarily get, put a ton of points up on the board at this point in his career. <clears throat> so. It's a, it, a lot of it is about ball control, and so I think they're going to try and lean on that this this week. They obviously need to, I think, to to beat the Panthers, and so you'll see a mix of uh, shotgun and, and under center. To me, one of the most interesting things watching the, the Broncos this week will be how often they run under center, because when they're under center, it almost guarantees that it's going to be a run, mm-hmm. or you know, like there was a few uh, play action plays where you know I think there was actually one play in the last in the Patriots game where where Peyton Manning kind of did a bootleg and threw downfield and actually completed a pass which was interesting because you don't see him do that very often so um I think generally speaking it's just going to be fun to see how often they run under center versus a shotgun um because it, it does kind of give away the play a little bit when, when he's in shotgun it's almost guaranteed to be a pass they did do a few power runs through that um so it's that's kind of like their change up play mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it, it's just an interesting marriage of styles because obviously Kubiak wants to run the zone blocking scheme, and, and I think Elway does too, but you have to also play to your quarterback strengths, and I don't think that's necessarily Manning's forte. So 
it's been interesting. And it, I don't know if that's just maybe like a two game sample size and they won't go back to it or, or what, but um, I think to beat the Panthers, they're, they're going to need to run the ball because I don't know if Peyton's going to be able to do it all with his arm. Well, okay. This is a cool thing for me because this is like this. This is some unplanned synergy to to, to use a buzzword because <laughs> you wrote that and you talked a little bit about that. And Stevens' piece on Peyton that went up today also talks a little bit. You know, touches in the same area, specifically in how that that factors into the Panthers' defense attacking Peyton. Mm. Now, Stephen, I want to have you. Talk, speak to that a little bit because the you talked about rushing Peyton Manning with you know with regards to when he's under center for those bootleg play for some of those play action plays and how that factors into the offense. Right, um, I think it's obvious that now he isn't nearly as comfortable throwing the football from under center. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he believes that the rush can get to him quicker. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't see the rush coming. So, you know, just like with the situation against the Patriots when uh, they started sending uh, the middle linebacker uh, uh, on, on blitzes versus play-action pass, by the time Peyton carries out that play-action fake, the guy was already on him. And he doesn't really like that. A couple of times, Chandler Jones, who was rushing from a three-technique, also kind of got pushed uh, 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 on the left guard. And that bothered Peyton as well. You'll see his feet just they speed up real fast when he's from under center. So I still don't think he's comfortable with that, uh, especially at this point. He's just so used to working out of the shotgun. Mm-hmm. But they have to do it because that, that's kind of how Kubiak wants to run his offense. And, look, it, it, they did benefit a couple of times um, because, shit, Peyton actually, against the Patriots, audibled a couple of times and went from shotgun to under center. Two, you know, give the Patriots a different look, sort of. Uh, and, and one thing about it is I think that uh, the Patriots, if you noticed in their game, they went to a lot more traditional 3-4 alignments. And I think that's something that, that maybe the Panthers should consider, too, because it did seem that, that Peyton was a lot more worried about the rush against them. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the Steelers, even though the Steelers run a 3-4 a as well, they're running a lot more, you know, four-man line. But almost every play, the Patriots lined up in a, in a 3-4, and they did some good things uh, throughout the game. They ended up losing, but they did have, you know, have some success against him and against that offense through those alignments. So, uh, again, you know, I think that the, you know, keeping them on the center is a way to keep the defenses uh, uh, uh you know, keep in mind this is kind mm-hmm. of Danny alluded to, but it, it kind of screws up what you want to do. It, it's kind of a, uh, a damn if you do, damn if you don't, because say, for instance, uh, uh, there was a one play where Peyton lines up on the center, sets back up. The Marist Thomas is wide open for a touchdown, but Peyton Manning, you know, he, he, his feet straight up again. He throws the ball a little bit too long. I really think if he was in a shotgun on that play and everything looks the same, he makes that throw. Mm-hmm. But when he's under center, he seems to be a little bit more off than any other time. Now, you know, as I point out in the piece, he really hasn't been off, hasn't been off much the last two games. Uh, even, you know, when, when guys have dropped it or guys have made plays on the ball, he's been pretty accurate the last two games. But when he's under center, man, those balls tend to kind of take on a life of their own. And it's all because I think he's worried about their rush a little bit too much. Yeah. Well, I want to ask another question about that, that that comes back to what you were writing about with the piece today. Was that how much, I mean, because one thing that you pointed out that's been a key to kind of Peyton Manning's play over the last few weeks is that he's really quick about getting the pass out of his, out of his hand. And that's something that you hear a lot, people talk a lot more about with Brady, especially this season. But, you know, you were watching the film and, and noticed that Peyton's really going to his first target and getting the ball out of his hands pretty dang quick. Is that, I mean, does that factor into the shotgun under center thing? I think it does uh, because, once again, in a shotgun, you get the ball and you can see everything and you can see the rush going on and you know for sure if you have to go ahead and unload that football right now or if you might have a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Under center, he's not wasting any time at all. Either he's going to hit somebody who's wide open or he's going to throw it away 
or something of that nature. He's not spending any time kind of going through his read. So that f- first read better be open. Now, the thing of it is, uh, uh, too, is that when he's in a shotgun, he's going to be very hard to sack. I don't care how well they, they rush up front because he's taking those two steps and he's throwing the football. The only time he, he might go, you know, to a second or third uh, uh, option is if he's sure he has time. Like, you know, there were times when, when the Patriots on the rush three. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, they, they got pressure with three, too, <laughs> a couple times. But, you know, there's a couple times when he knew he had a little bit of extra time. But other than that, man, he's going through and figuring out who's going to be open right away, and he's delivering the football. Now, that can be a good or a bad thing. I think it's helped him as far as his ball security because a lot of, you know, those interceptions early on this season, I think he was overthinking it a little too much and trying to make too perfect of a play. Mm -hmm. You know, waiting for the third option and just sure that guy's going to be open, throwing it late and, and then having it picked off. Now, you know, as long as he's sure what the defense is and they don't fool him, you're going to get your, you know, it may not be a big play, but you'll get your five, 10 yards and keep moving the chain as long as his receivers catch the football. Now, where that can come in to, to be a bad thing is if, you know, it's not like nobody has ever fooled Peyton Manning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, shit, I was on the Jets team in 2002, and we beat him in the playoffs pretty handily because we kind of figured out some of his signals and stuff, and we were doing some things that kind of confused him as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you can confuse him and all of a sudden that first option is taken away, I think the Panthers can have a little bit more success. Their problem is the fact that they're so banged up on defense right now. You got yeah. Thomas Davis with the broken arm, of course. They're still having to start Robert McClain and, and, and Cortland Finnegan in the secondary. Uh, obviously, uh, 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 I think it was Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, not Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, the safety that had Roman the eye. Uh, uh, Roman Harper, who had the eye injury as well. And so they're, they're a little bit banged up on their defense. It's not the same defense that they've had for most of the year that looked so great and looked so dominant. And so um, there'll be places I feel like he'll kind of try to exploit, especially Robin McClain and Corlin Finnegan, over and over and over again until they show that they can stop it. And if they can't, and if they can't get pressure on him, it's going to be a long game. And you, you actually picked the Broncos to win this game. One of the I, I, most people on the panel picked the Panthers. I think you were one of two or three that picked the Broncos, and that sort of has a lot to do with it, as I understand it. Absolutely, it's me and PFT commentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lone wolves <laughs> picking the Broncos. So of course, it makes me feel a lot better about my pick. Just, you know, <laughs> PFT. But it, it kind of comes, it, it comes back to what I've seen on film. I told you um, before the Patriots game that, look, I, I watched that Steelers film, and I was already in set to uh, pick the Patriots to win the game, and I had to pump the brakes because I'm like, wait a minute, Peyton played play pretty good this game. Literally, there was only one uncatchable ball as far as I was concerned yeah. uh, in that game. And so I'm like, okay, well, if he plays this well, doesn't have to be gangbusters. Doesn't have to be vintage Peyton, whatever that's supposed to mean. Just good enough. Doesn't turn the football over. And, you know, does take a few shots when need be, like those touchdowns against the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, that he could play good enough to go along with this fantastic defense to win that game. And, and that's kind of the way I look uh, at the same way this Super Bowl. I, I don't expect him to go out there and have 400 yards passing and five touchdowns or something like that. But I expect that if, as long as his uh, wide receivers don't drop eight balls again, that he will continue moving the chains. They will score enough, just enough, for, their, for them to win that game with their defense kind of leading the way. You know, as long as he doesn't turn it over. Because that was really the big thing uh, uh, with the Cardinals. Hell, the Cardinals did some good things on defense, but Carson Palmer just kept ser- serving yeah. up interceptions. So, you know, if they can stay away from the turnovers – I really think they have a good shot just because, look, I think that defense, that Denver defense is perfectly suited to kind of shut down the Panthers offense in a way that no other team is in the league right now. And they're healthy and they're kind of rolling. So, you know, with those guys kind of putting a chokehold on Cam and the Panthers, I expect that Peyton will be, be able to do just enough. And, you know, he'll have some help. Of course, the running game will help, but he'll do just enough to win the game. Hmm. Danny, you picked the Panthers. Tell me a little bit the logic behind that. 
<laughs> well, I mean, for me, I think, as I said before, <clears throat> I think the Broncos are the one team that I could see beating the Panthers. So it's not like I was really like, oh, yeah, the Panthers, easy, right. blah, blah, blah. But um, I don't know. To me, the Panthers are more balanced. They they also have a really good defense. Um, I think they've got like six pick sixes this year. They have the most interceptions of anyone in the NFL. Um, their defense is, I think they've caused the most turnovers of any defense in the NFL. They're, they're kind of one of those teams. And, and I saw it against the Seahawks, like Wilson threw two pick sixes or he threw two picks and they like pretty much just jumped on him. It's like they came out and punched him in the face and, um, the Seahawks were reeling from there. So to me, they just look really pretty unstoppable at this point. I think the way that they, um, can run the ball will, will kind of take some of that pass rush out of, out of the um you know the the teeth out of that pass rush a little bit and so i think that will mitigate that that Mm. strength that the broncos have and i think um i don't know you know i just can't see the broncos scoring too many points in this one i I think they will you know like like steven said if they get a couple big plays it's definitely going to be interesting and and i I don't know if i expected the those um owen daniels touchdowns against patriots but uh, you know those those are the kind of plays they need to get so um I just can't see them doing enough, I think, to, to beat the Panthers. But I do think it's going to be kind of one of those low-scoring games, um, you know, kind of like a grinded-out, sloggy game. And so, um, but I just think that the Panthers are more balanced; have they're, they're better on defense than um, maybe people are talking about this week. And, and so, I just think overall they're just a just yeah. a really really hard to beat. So that, that's kind of why I went with the Panthers. I think they're they're just playing really really well right now. So it seems like the big injury in the lead up to the game to keep an eye on is the is the one with Thomas Davis and the, the broken arm. But the one people keep talking about is Jared Allen. I just, I mean, am is I going to play? It sounds like he will. I mean, Ron Rivera made it okay. sound like in the practice report yesterday that Allen was only limited because, like, it was a scheduled light day. You know, as part mm-hmm. of his rehabilitation schedule, this is some of his light, this was a light day for him. But I, am I wrong? It seems like they just, it's sort of like, non-story is not the right word, but <laughs> it's like why, I mean, do they need Jared Allen? Has he been effective? He hasn't really been much of a presence for them mm. all season. The Jared Allen thing doesn't really move the needle for me. I think I would like to hear what Steven thinks about it. Um, but I, I think the Thomas Davis thing is interesting, and I think we talked about this last week because – how is he going to be able to tackle? That's the big question. You know, is mm-hmm. he going to be able to use that arm very much? Mm-hmm. And the the Panthers are very much like one of those teams that are like they're disciplined. They don't do a whole lot. You know, they rely on their team speed and great tackling and just fundamental, really, really good fundamental play to be so effective on defense. And so if you're missing tackles and things, like how big of a difference is that? I, I think that that's one of those factors that you kind of have to wonder about and, um, are they are the Broncos going to try and like run at him a lot and things like that? You know, because I don't know how 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 limited is he going to be with that broken arm? It's, yeah. it's tough to know at this point. So to me, the the Jared Allen, I haven't really even thought about the Jared Allen thing that much. But um, as a def- former defensive lineman, I like to hear what Stephen has to say about that one. Well, uh, I, I, I believe that I made the statement that. The Panthers might have actually been better off going into the Cardinals game without Jared Allen out there. Yeah, yeah. and so that's kind of still my main same mindset. Um, now, here's the thing about Jared Allen, and it's kind of what he's always been, but he's fallen off a little bit. What he's always been is a guy who wouldn't necessarily get constant pressure. Mm-hmm. He will wear out your left tackle over the course of a game. And then he would, you know, bam, all of a sudden he's got a sack. Or bam, all of a sudden he's got uh, a pressure when maybe he hadn't gotten one all game. You know, and, and, and so for me, I prefer constant pressure, even if they aren't sacks. Mm-hmm. But he does have a knack for kind of out of the blue, all of a sudden getting a, a, a timely sack when you need one. Now, I don't think he's done that very much since he's gotten to Carolina. I think he's only had like two sacks since the trade or what have you. But – um, you know, teams sometimes want to lean on veteran leadership and all of that. And look, there's something to be said for that. The problem is, in order for Jared Allen to be at his most effective, 
he has to play the maximum amount of reps as he can get. Because, like I said, he has to wear the guy down in order to beat him. He's not going to start the game normally, knock on wood, you know, getting a sack or getting a pressure. It kind of comes over time. Whereas these young guys, man, uh, 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 Coney, Ely, and uh, uh, what's the other kid, uh, 97, those guys, can, they, you know, they're ready to go. They got young legs, fresh legs, getting off the ball, yeah. getting up the field. And they're ready to make, ready to make plays right now. And, look, uh, I think Kawan Short has to have a big game in order for the Panthers to, Panthers to win. But if his defensive ends aren't getting up the field, forcing Peyton Manning to step up in, into the pocket, it's going to be hard for Kawan Short to really have uh, an outsized impact. So they need those defensive ends uh, coming off the ball and, and getting pressure. Mario Addison is, is 97, who I was referred to. And I just think with Coney Ely and, and Addison, you have a much better chance of that happening all game. Whereas with Jared Allen, look, he might get you one pressure or a sack here or there, but for the most part, he's going to get locked down by the left tackle. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I I don't know. There's so many different matchups across the field in this game that are really – that have sort of – I mean, is there anything that stands out to you? I mean, obviously there's the big stuff that we kind of hit on, but is there anything that – stands out to you guys that, you know, maybe is sort of an underrated matchup to watch for in this game, underrated player? I think that the uh, the the thing that may, might give the Broncos a chance is, is uh, some of the injuries that the Panthers have in their secondary. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be playing like Robert McClain and, and Cortland Finnegan. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of those the two guys that they could try and pick on. And then obviously running at Thomas Davis is just – Based on how his arm is, I don't know, you know, what that's going to be like. But I think, uh, you know, whether it's Emmanuel Sanders or you know some of these the third or fourth guys on the on the you know in the depth chart in terms of their uh, receivers for for Denver, those are the kind of guys that could have big games because <clears throat> they're not lining up against uh, Tom State or uh, Josh Norman. Sorry. So I don't know. Those are the kind of those are the kind of things that I'll be interested in watching. You know, do do they? specifically scheme stuff to go at those guys. I, I'm, yeah. I imagine they will. So um, those that's the kind of the matchup I'll be looking for because the Broncos still have a good receiving core. Obviously, Demarius Thomas and, and uh, Emmanuel Sanders are probably going to get the main you know attention, but then obviously Owen Daniels came up big last week. And, um, you know, so there, there's some other guys that could, that could feature in this game. I'm, I'm blanking on the second-year guy, his name. But um, – you talking about Benny Fowler or yeah. Cody Latimer? Yeah, yeah, Latimer. They both made plays the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so those are the kind of guys that could, you know, kind of randomly show up in this game, I think. Yeah, it's always – it's like the – and I'm sorry to bring this up, but it's like the Malcolm Butler thing, you know, last year. It's like <laughs> yeah. the guy that kind of is is a player that nobody really – you know, isn't necessarily on the radar, and then he just makes some right. outstanding play in the Super Bowl. He made two outstanding plays in the Super Bowl. I yeah. mean, his play against uh, Jermaine Curse downfield, uh, there was like a pass Russell Wilson made over the top that I think if he would have completed that, that might have been the dagger that that kind of ended it. But uh, he he broke that play up too. So I don't know. Yeah, that that was that's a good example. He just kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't really even. I don't know if anyone really talked about it much before the game. So. Um, yeah, I think it's going to, you know, it's one of those games that a couple big plays could, could be the difference. I mean, I know that's a cliche, but with these two defenses, I think that's true. Yeah. Steven. Um, well, if you want to talk about people who have a chance to make an outsized impact that nobody really talks about, there's one guy, and I actually pointed this out during the game, uh, the last game, uh, when the Panthers played. Uh, that that is very good and well compensated, I might add. But <laughs> but people really don't talk about it that much. And it's Charles Johnson, uh, yeah. the left defensive mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. And you know that guy's got had two weeks to to really get his body ready to have a big game. I told you, in order to to beat the Broncos, I really think you're going to have to get pressure on Pey- Peyton Manning, quick pressure. And he's a guy that can do that. You know, he he's very good at, at rushing right tackles. And uh, that that'll be a, a, the side where Peyton can kind of see him coming, and, and maybe even if he doesn't get to him, can just force him to throw the ball a little bit quicker than he wants to. And and, and when you can see 
Peyton Manning's process up, that's when you have a chance of, of him maybe throwing the ball off target. Yeah. So uh, nobody's really talking about Charles Johnson much. Obviously, I picked the Broncos to win. But if if the Panthers win this game, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's because Charles Johnson had a really big game. Yeah. That is a good point. It, it doesn't feel like anyone's talking about him. I haven't really heard his name much. No, I, I, and I know that's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. And I was just thinking earlier how you've seen the same story about other stuff, you know, from and presented in different ways, but like, you know, uh, again and again and again. I mean, hell, the, the meanie ran out of Cam Newton stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you can only, you know, hot take, make the hot takes of him being a menace to society or whatever for so long. It's <laughs> finally getting tired. You know, I'll say something, too. This is a point you brought up, Stephen, because this is sort of, this is something we obviously are always up against in the NFL media world. But it's it's the power of the narrative. And this is something you, t- I mean, obviously we've talked a little bit about that with Cam Newton because, you know, you had a statement last week and all season long, the, you know, the, the the concerned letters to the editor writers with hip thrusting and so forth. But <laughs> Peyton's kind of a, a has gets this treatment too. And you noticed it, Stephen, on a particular play in the game. Was it, was it the Steelers game or the Patriots game where he made this? He made a, a pretty good throw that his receiver could have caught, didn't catch it. And the guys in the booth were like, oh, well, you know, that's just not a throw Peyton Manning can make anymore. Something like that. Was it in the Patriots game or the Steelers game? I can't remember. Oh, the, uh, the Patriots game. Yeah. Um, that was the, the, the Demarius Thomas throw where he's trying to fit it in between two, two defenders like cover two. We got the corner and the safety right there. He tried to fit it in there. And, you know, in the live broadcast, it did kind of look like the ball just sailed on, on Peyton and was way over Dem- uh, Demarius Thomas's head. Uh, and, and it's not an easy throw by any right. means. You know, you got to stick it in there and it's got to be kind of, you know, right in, in the right spot so it doesn't get picked off. But, you know, they, everybody kind of moved on. They didn't even show a replay of it, really. And then I'm going back and rewatching the game. I'm like, hold on, wait, hold on. So I kept rewinding it. The damn ball hit him right in the hand. Like, you know, if it's if that's Odell Beckham Jr., that's probably a catch. Now, we know that Demarius Thomas has had his issues with drops, so I wouldn't call that a drop. Yeah. But if he put both hands up, he probably had a chance, a real good chance, to make that throw. So that throw was actually on target. It, 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 it's the only way you, place you could have put it to make sure it doesn't get picked off and your receiver has a chance to catch it. But if you only watched the broadcast, if you never rewound it and saw that, you figured, hey, man, Peyton's just terrible. He just threw a duck way over his head, didn't even have a shot. And he gave him a shot to catch it. It was a catchable football. I wouldn't call it a drop. But if it hits your hand like that, like it wasn't the fingertips, it went straight through his hand. Like, you know, you can see it if you slow it down on a game pass where it basically just went right through his hand. He put two hands up. That might be might have been a catch, and that in and of itself was kind of, uh, in a nutshell, uh, uh, what had been going on for two weeks. It, I rarely even watch uh, the TV copy with the sound on. I, I usually, if I'm going to watch it, I watch uh, the condensed version. That's only like thirty minutes, and I turn the sound off so I'm not distracted. So I wasn't really even sure why I came out of the Steelers game, for instance, thinking that he didn't play well. Yeah, I just was like. You know, I was just blown away when I watched the film, and he had actually played well. So, but but that play, when I was going back through, I'm like, I had to go back to the TV copy to get like a, a close enough view to see where that ball went. I was thinking it went um, much higher than that over his outstretched hands. So I was actually surprised. But then I'm listening to the commentary too. I was like, well, let me go back and see some of these other plays and see what they said uh, on those plays. And, like, you know, you got Phil Sims saying that Peyton Manning is off to a slow start at some at one point when Peyton had pretty much been on target all day at, to that point. He just had a couple of drops. But, like, throughout both games, 
it, it seems like they're more interested in, in reminding everybody of how bad Peyton sucked rather than actually focusing on how well he was playing in those games. And I know it's kind of counterintuitive because Phil Sims seems to bend over backwards to, to make it seem like the people who were criticizing Peyton Manning were, were just haters. Uh-huh. But I don't know if it was intentional or if those guys just like hearing their own voices rather than paying attention to the game. But, but the reality of the situation is the film did not match up with the commentary at all in either game. It was just terrible. Like, you, you look at some of the bigger plays. That one pass that, that Peyton throws to uh, Emmanuel Sanders uh, in the Patriots game o- over Malcolm, uh, what's the kid's name, the, the Super Bowl uh, uh, hero? Butler. Malcolm Butler. That's as good of a football, a good of a pass as you have seen this year, I promise you. Especially when you factor in uh, that the nose tackle for the Patriots hit Peyton right as he was throwing that football. But mm-hmm. th- those guys were running, you know, step for step. And he threw it just high enough with that pressure in his face to get the ball over Butler's outstretched hands and let Emmanuel Sanders catch it. But you would have thought it was just a routine play or something. <laughs> I, I, I don't even think they replayed it on Torsen. And that's one of the better passes you've seen. If you watch it on film, you're like, my goodness, that is incredible. <laughs> but at the time, you go back and listen to the TV copy, and it's like, meh, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> First down for the, for the uh, Broncos. It's just like no big deal. And now, so- I, the, 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 the thing I will say is this, because it makes sense. Had Peyton thrown that same pass after the year when he threw 55 touchdowns, I guarantee you the whole tone of these broadcasts would have been better, yeah. been different. You know, they, they've been a lot more favorable to him. But I think maybe these announcers now are scared to say anything good about him because everybody just figured he sucks. Yeah. No, and those guys get, and they're such the gatekeepers of how we think about the NFL and the players and, and judge them and determine what's going on and stuff. That's what's so fun. I mean, and that's like, you know, the Mike Carey stuff. I mean, that's where you get this. I mean, it helps feed the impression that these refs are schmucks out there because you've got a guy in the booth that can't even get it right and who's got the TV copy to look at. But. And, yeah, that was CBS, and uh, lo and behold, who was calling the game this year? None other. Phil Sims and Jim Nance. So, uh, yeah, that'll be a good call. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's no, it's just interesting because, you know, you're, everyone just sort of assumes that Peyton's going to get the benefit of the doubt, but then to go back and read that. And when I was going back and looking, looking at some of the plays you described in that for the, you know, to make the GIFs, that was like I listened to that part again. I tried, I didn't I didn't have the software to cut it out and and stick in our thing and also the wherewithal to deal with the lawyers over that. But, <laughs> um, but like they are, they're just like oh, uh, Peyton's just blah blah blah. I mean, like they were ready to start the funeral dirge for the guy after that throw. And it was it, even the, the way they talked about Brady, who had some much worse throws all game, like just giving the ball out there. On out route sometimes. The contrast between the way they talked about his throws, though, was just amazing. Yeah. Like, they just knew the, eventually the Patriots would come back and beat the Broncos because, of course, most people did pick the Patriots in that game. But, man, you just – so much excitement whenever he made a throw. So much just, <laughs> yeah, when, when Peyton made a throw. It was amazing. <laughs> no, it'll be interesting to see if they do that, if that continues on Sunday in the Super Bowl, too, where if they're just so – because, you know, obviously they've had a lot more time to prepare, and we had to sit through all that stuff about we're in production meetings with the players and coaches now, and we're looking at tape, and we're looking at film. And, uh, yeah, we'll get out there on Sunday, and I guess the, the we shall bear witness to, to, the, to the atrocities of it all. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, let's see. Um, I haven't seen any prop bets. I was kind of surprised. I was looking today to see if there are any prop bets on Mike Carey, and there there aren't any that I could find. <laughs> really? No. That is surprising. That is very no. surprising. And then you have the stuff that, like, the stats where it's like, well, he doesn't screw up as much as you think he does. It's like, is that true? When he does. <laughs> well, I think it was, I think the official stat they gave was like, I mean, you know, he's like, 90% of his calls 
during games have been made this year have been right. But the problem is, it's like, well, when you miss 10%, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just like any, it's just like an official on the field. Yeah, 90% of the calls they may, may be lot. fine. Yeah, it's the 10% on national television that everyone in the world sees you screw <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, it's really not a batting average thing at that point. It's like if condoms fail 15% of the time, that's a lot. You're going to have a kid. <laughs> Can you imagine if they applied that rule to the prices, right? Another <laughs> CBS classic. <laughs> Bob Barker's right 90% of the time on these prices. No big deal. <laughs> but uh, you're still going to get the showcase showdown. So, uh, What are the good uh, prop bets that you've seen? The basics. I was a little surprised. Tell me if you're if you're surprised by this one because I was when I first saw it. The over under on rushing yards for Cam Newton is set at forty forty and a half. Mm, yeah, I think that sounds about right. Like as for an over or under. Uh, yeah, that maybe it's a little. I don't know. Eighty percent of the bets are over for are taking the over on that. Really? Yeah. Oh, I might take the under on that one. Yeah, it might be worth it. Might be worth laying down. Uh, <laughs> you know where you could really make some money, and this is kind of funny since it's the Broncos. Um, the payout if you bet that the first points of the game would be a safety is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So that that might that might be a one for the one for the uh, the gambler. And again, listen, you can you can take our gambling advice and do what you will with it, but. Uh, <laughs> don't come to us with complaints if if uh you know your kid's college fund gets flushed down the toilet on a on betting a, on a safety as the first scoring play of the Super Bowl. How weird would it be if uh this it was another safety cuz that was the the first score of the Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl was a safety too. Yeah. Peyton Manning two safeties in the first play of the Super Bowl. I don't yeah. know the odds are pr- pretty minuscule for that. No, and I I can imagine the the reaction to that. <laughs> it would be crazy too because everyone will be looking everyone will go back and want to look at the safety he threw you know that happened last time against the Seahawks there was a really great gif going around during the Super Bowl that year where like there was like a great video shot where Peyton Manning's eyes light up like oh shit as the ball goes <laughs> past his head you know and someone made a gif of like the Lombardi trophy like flying past his head I mean obviously as a Seahawks fan I thought it was funny the Broncos fans probably didn't appreciate that but <laughs> well, that's pretty good <laughs> pretty good did you I see love- this this isn't like I usually try to avoid the Rovell stuff, but this was, I'll have to say this one was kind of interesting where the Broncos had offered Elway like a 15% stake in the team. Like back when he, in his playing days as part of his like contract arrangement, a 15% stake of the team. And then if he had done something, if he deferred his guaranteed money, they would, he would get another 10% stake in the team. So he could have had a, he could have had 25% Jeez. ownership in the Broncos, but wait, you know why he didn't do it? Why? Mike Shanahan told him it was a bad idea. And you know what he did with that money? No shit. He, Mike Shanahan convinced him to invest in uh, um, Laundromax, like a series of modern laundromats. Oh, my God. And it turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. Wow. That's perfect. It's like... Well, uh- now, here's the thing, and, and it kind of made sense to me at the time. I, I saw this guy, Daniel Bryan, tweeting Darren Ravel about this story. Uh-huh. And it's a juicy story, of course. But as, as Daniel Bryan pointed out, uh, that probably would have been uh, a salary cap violation uh. to uh, try to enter that into the contract. Now, um, Ravel was going off uh, some court documents where, you know, that's where, for, I'm not sure what the court proceeding was for, but under oath, Elway said, you know, he talked about um, being offered that and then why he said no. But I think as Daniel Brown pointed out, I don't think it would have actually been, he would have actually been able to, to, to say yes to it anyway because it probably would have been a salary cap violation. Now, Ravel made the, the, the connection because, Evidently, that would have been a $15 million investment. Uh-huh. And this Laundromax also ended up being a $15 million investment. 
which he did. I think he did get some of it back or something like that. But uh, so that's how he kind of made that ah. uh, connection. And it's Dan Ravel, so who's gonna give exactly. that exactly that guy the benefit <laughs> of the doubt? Right? And there, so, I just—that's the classic. I just walked into the classic row. I'm like, literally, <laughs> I kind of want to go disappear for like a week now. <laughs> no, I mean everybody's kind of. And look, I don't know the specifics of the situation, but it did make sense to me. And the guy Dan O'Brien was kind of—he was kind of giving. Uh, Ravel the business, which I'm always here for. So, well, exactly, and that's sort of the classic rule with Ravel. It's like, what part of this is missing? Right, exactly. What, what, <laughs> what? Where did he make? Where did he jump the shark? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, he's always looking to find a shark to jump over. I was just really more like, to me, the biggest hook with it was like, can you imagine going into the laundromat business with Mike Shanahan? <laughs> I like that angle too a lot. <laughs> it's like no wonder Mike Shanahan has to go out there and campaign so hard for his own damn co- for coaching jobs every year. He's got laundromax. He's got laundromax <laughs> that he's got to pay for. But I, I, yeah, Mike investment investment tips with Mike Shanahan. It's like Jim Cramer. Wait, is that the guy that yells at everybody? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some Super Bowl planning here. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Enjoy the game. Stay tuned. We'll have lots more. Check out the site. Check us out on the tweeters and everywhere else on the interwebs, and then we'll have plenty of stuff for you.